Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind MAPCO at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542. 6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museum will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran. 
and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Misfit Hitch. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. Tonight we have a good one. We worked hard all week uh, training soldiers here at Fort Campbell. And now Sunday I get to do a live show from home. So I'm glad to be here and glad to have you all out there listening on About Face Radio, on our YouTube at The Misfit Nation, and any one of our social media platforms. Like I said, tonight we have a good one. Our next guest is a principal ally and founder of marketing agency, Allies for Me. He uses a proven method that mimics the stages of courtship. Allies for Me helps companies find strangers and convert them into high-paying customers. It's an eight-stage customer value journey is the framework that leads someone from first contract to post-purchase. Our guest is also a former U.S. Marine. You're not an ex-Marine. You're always going to be a Marine for the rest of your life. So. He's a former Marine. I'm sure he still likes his crayons like the rest of the Marines, but we won't hold that against him. And uh, without further ado, let's welcome uh, Marine veteran Craig Andrews, speaker, marketer, writer, and of course, always a Marine. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Semper Fi. How are you doing? Awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And, you know, we were talking in the green room. I'm doing way better than the doctors predicted two years ago. Heck yeah, way better. And uh, if we all listen to doctors, especially when you get news like you were getting two years ago, I'll let you tell your story. When you get news like you're getting a that you received two years ago, or your wife was receiving while you were in a in a different world there in a coma, that's a horrible thing to hear. And uh, and if you listen to that and you go with it, you wouldn't be with us now. So I'm glad you're here in front of us right now. And uh, brother, I want you to share your story with the Misfit Nation. Rich, I really appreciate this. I've been looking forward to this uh, this discussion. So, uh, let me. You want me to start with uh, two years ago, or good, yes. yeah, okay. So, actually, um, August tenth, two years ago, I walked into the hospital, told the folks at the desk, I'm having trouble breathing. 
except it didn't come out like that. It kind of came out with a lot of pauses and deep breaths because I couldn't say that in one sentence. Right. And they pulled me back behind the curtain and uh, put me on oxygen. And a few minutes later, I heard my wife. She had dropped me off at the door of the emergency room. And I heard her on the other side of the curtain saying, where's my husband? And they said, we've got him, ma'am. You need to leave. So they sent her back out into the car in the parking lot in August in Texas and just told to wait out there. And what I didn't know at the time is it would be almost another two months before I'd see her again. Wow. And yeah. She'd see me sooner, but it was lights out for me. I was, I was in a coma and, you know, uh, 11 days later, they shot me up full of morphine and, um, I quit breathing. I had, and just for anybody that's wondering, I had COVID. I had the Delta variant of COVID. And, um, and so they called her at 1230 in the morning on the 22nd of August. And they said, um, we need your permission to put your husband on the ventilator. And she hears me in the background screaming, no ventilator, no ventilator. And they said, and she said, well, he doesn't want to go on the ventilator. And they laughed at her and they said, well, if he doesn't go on the ventilator, he'll be dead in 24 hours. And she said, well, how many of you had survived that you put on the ventilator? And they said, nobody survived. And that's the deal. That's why I was screaming, no ventilator. If you, if you went on the ventilator with Delta variant, which is why I had, you died. That was the outcome. And uh, a couple of days later, I went into kidney uh, failure. A few days after that, you know, went on dialysis. And then a few days after that, my right lung collapsed. And they told her for about a month that I was going to die. And uh, they even had her meet with hospice to plan the day they were going to pull the plug. And um, I woke up six weeks later, uh, completely atrophied. I could I could lift a finger or a toe. That was it. Couldn't wow. lift an arm or a leg. Um, you know, had no no muscles. Uh, my head was still really scrambled. And um, when I was in my coma, I had a whole bunch of dreams. That for me, for six weeks, that was reality. And those dreams were so vivid, I believed those were reality. Um, and as a matter of fact, you know, about a week and a half or two weeks after I woke up, I started realizing that everybody around me believes something different than me. And so I called my wife over and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you some things. I need you to tell me if these things really happened. She's like, all right. And I think she was kind of worried about me anyway. She told me later she saw that as a good sign. Um, and I asked her, I said, hey, we've we been to Louisiana. She said, no. I said, we weren't, we weren't in a resort in Louisiana. She said, no. Now, I didn't know Louisiana had resorts, but in my world, they did. And um, I started telling her the story about how young ladies at this resort had had um room service but it was not your average room service it was let's say an enhanced room service and one of the things on the room service menu that was my favorite is i could dial in and some young lady would come in and spray raw cow's milk at my face and it would make <laughs> me feel better <laughs> and uh and one time she comes in and uh, she misunderstood what I was asking for and was about to offer one of their more traditional services. 
And I was like, no, 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 just the cow's milk. That's all I want. And um, you know, I went on to tell my wife the, the dream. And I said, at some point, they wanted me to leave. And they came in and announced on the speaker in the room. They said, Mr. Andrews, it's time for you to leave. I said, well, I can't move. You're going to have to come in and get me. And they, they're like, you need to leave now. And they got started getting angrier and angrier. At one point, they, they said, if you don't leave, we're going to tell your wife about your room service. And I said, you can tell her. She knows I like raw cow's milk. There's no secrets there. And um, <clears throat> and, and uh, at one point, I tried to roll out of bed. I thought, if I fell on the floor, at least somebody would have to come in and pick me up and move me. Uh, but then I heard them mumbling in the background and I heard them say, let's get his wife. And she came in, she put her hand on my left shoulder and she said, Craig, this is Karen. I'm your wife. It's going to be okay. Now, when I told Karen this story, she sat back and she said, Craig, I said those exact words to you in your coma. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and something really interesting happened during those six weeks I was out. When I woke up, my trust in the doctors plummeted. It was through the floor. My trust in my wife through the roof. All while I was asleep for six weeks. And the reality is my dreams uh, were a reflection of reality. Yeah, they were widely distorted. So like that dream I just told you, um, at that time in the hospital, I had these respiratory techs that would come in my room several times a day, usually young ladies. And they would put a mask of nebulized albuterol on my face and would make me feel better and help me breathe. In my brain, in my state, I interpreted that as raw cow's milk. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, so it was really interesting. And, um, and when I woke up, I had, I mean, complete atrophy. Uh, even my vision was blurry because my, you know, my eye muscles hadn't, you know, had lost strength. And so I was, when I woke up, I was in the second of three hospitals. Uh, this was, uh, they call it an LTAC. It's a long, long-term acute care facility. Uh, and, there they got me strong enough to go to rehab. And then the last three weeks I spent in a rehab hospital uh, where they taught me how to walk again. And you, you hit a nail on the head with the, with the ventilator store. As soon as you said they were going to put you on a ventilator, you yelled, no, the first thing came to my head, everyone that went on a ventilator during the COVID was never seen again. That everyone that you heard of was never seen again. And you had that in your, your wherewithal in your head, knowing that, as you're saying, ventilator, ventilator, you're yelling, no ventilator, no ventilator. And your wife's on the other end of the line saying, he's saying no, but they still wanted to do it. And that was just like their push at this time to get rid of patients, really. If they put on a ventilator, that saves a bed because that bed's going to be empty here within hours. Yeah, and it's uh, it, there's some horrible things that happen. Um, we're, we've got a book that's coming out shortly that where we tell the story of that. Uh, but here's two paragraphs out of that book from the uh, from the hours leading up to them shooting me full of morphine. Uh, and when they when she said, hey, he's he doesn't want to go on the ventilator. They said he's full of morphine. He can't make this decision. 
Well, what's interesting is morphine suppresses respiration, which you would think is a bad thing if you have a respiratory disease. Um, yeah, but so in the book, um, you know, as it's talking about a couple hours before the before they put me on the ventilator, um, I write in there um, the uh, and, and by the way, a little bit of setting earlier in the book, I introduced this doctor. I call him Droopy the doc, doctor. Uh, and I said, if Droopy, if if Droopy the dog was a doctor, he would look exactly like this man. Wow. <laughs> And so that's a little bit of context for this, but um, the book reads, the doctor stopped by for a brief chastisement, not droopy the doctor. This guy was more like a school marm with an exceptionally high opinion of himself. And his school marm duties today were to inform me of my sins and how bad things happen to those who sin. As I've reflected on that conversation I realized that he believed I would die in the next few days. So his priority was to make his last words to a dying man, a chastisement. And my life was in the hands of such a person. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. And, you know, obviously this um, is a show where you have a lot of vets. You're a veteran and, you know, you know, the lifestyle it's, and it's fun because I'm sharing a little bit more than I would, uh, you know, in a regular podcast, because, um, you know, it's a, I don't know, we think differently. We've seen different things and we think differently, but the, um, the one thing that hit me as I was going through that is I, I credit the Marine Corps for me being alive. Well, I credit for me being alive. I I think it was a bona fide miracle from God. I think it was my wife who came in, you know, changed the hospital policy where um, they originally told her she couldn't visit me. And she's like, nope, wrong answer. So she came in for an hour a day and she'd sing to me and pray over me and say words of encouragement. Um, And, you know, but I think the third element is, you know, Marines are just harder to kill. It's a, it's a mindset issue. And when I look at, you know, when I reflect on what I had to go through in rehab to learn how to walk again, I don't know how I would have made it through that if it hadn't been for the Marine Corps. Wow. That's outstanding. And who are you with in the Marines? I was with VMA Q2. It was an electronic warfare squadron. Uh, we flew the raid on Libya in 86. Um, we jammed, basically, we jammed radars. When we flew over, you either saw nothing on your radar or you saw a whole bunch of crap on the radar that was misleading. We'd paint you know, false targets on your radar and you'd be shooting at ghosts. And so if you think back to the raid on Libya, uh, there were 120 sorties in that raid and there was one plane lost. It was an F-111. And what happened was they couldn't see anybody and they're like, screw it. Let's fire everything at once. And it was just pure dumb luck. They hit the F-111. But um, yeah, so we, um, yeah, it was actually cool. You'll appreciate this. So, um, you know, electronic warfare, I I worked in what they call eye level or intermediate level repair, um, which was there was, you know, the squadron would pull boxes off the plane, send them to us bring them into our secure shop and we prepare them. 
And so there was a doorbell in the front of the sh- uh, front door of the shop. And to get in, you had to ring the doorbell. And if you didn't, if you didn't have the right badge, if you didn't have a badge to work in that shop, you had to be escorted. Didn't matter who you were. Didn't, you know, you know this. Doesn't matter what your security clearance is. If you didn't have a need to know, the only way you made it through that door was with an escort. Well, there's no officer one wants to be escorted by some enlisted puke. Sergeant Major didn't want to come by and be escorted by us. So they left us alone. And um, it was uh, it was fun. It was it was a um, it was a neat place to work and um, a lot of fun. Spent six years in the Marines and uh, got out right after Desert Storm. Oh, wow. Okay. So you came in, uh, came in just after like Beirut time period, then went up that period. Uh, for those yeah. Times. So, yeah. So you, you hit the those two highs and Desert Storm, then you rolled out. So that's a pretty uh, volatile period you were in there for the Marine Corps, especially. You know, yeah, and it was it was interesting. Um, I was in during both Reagan and Bush, and there was a big difference. I'm not criticizing anybody, but you know, Bush was, you know, after the um, Iron Curtain fell, Bush was like, you know, he started talking about peace dividends, which ended up stimulating a recession. Um, you know, just because he was like, hey, we can't continue to spend on defense like this. But during the Reagan years, I mean, we were fat. We had we had more Marines than we had work for. And the only way you could actually work on a piece of gear is if you were determined, you know, you kind of had to push somebody out of the way, say, I'm going to fix this piece. And um, I mean, you can just kind of screw off. Uh, it, it, we screwed off a lot, even when we were working. But um, yeah, the Reagan years were fat, you know. And uh, when I was in uh, boot camp, I had a brand new M16A2. Uh, it had never been issued to anybody else. I was the first one to shoot that one on the range. Uh, we got the 9 mil, we got the Humvee. Uh, just all sorts of new equipment. And um, then Bush comes in and he starts cutting and boy, and we felt it, you know, and uh, when Desert Storm came around. So my squadron, we were the only squadron in the Marine Corps that did what we did, you know, and and we had three detachments and one detachment was always deployed and, you know, rotate out. And we were usually deployed to Iwakuni, Japan. That's where I was when the war broke out. And actually stayed there because they sent the other two detachments to the Gulf. And which always puzzled me because um, we went from being very fat during the Reagan years to being too lean during the Bush years. And we, you know, we had six birds per detachment. We couldn't fly six birds, you know, for each detachment. We, you know, out of 18 birds, we could keep um, 15, 16, maybe 17 in the air but we didn't have enough to keep all 18 in the air. So I, I don't know what they sent to the golf. I never saw those guys. You know, I, I got back and uh, they asked me if I was re-upping. I'm like, Nope. And they're like, all right, you're out of here. And they just put me on terminal leave. <laughs> we don't need you no more. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, that slowdown with the HW Bush continue, it got exponentially worse during the Clinton years. Uh, it's when I was, I started my time with Clinton and not seeing any raises, uh, seeing people get kicked out, seeing no equipment. It wasn't until really GW when we started getting money again. So his, he, he flipped the switch on what his dad did and, and kind of helped us out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's tough. And a lot of people don't get that. You know, they hear about the, you know, $700 toilet seats and what have you. And, 
yeah, there's a lot of waste. I mean, geez, look at the F-35 project. Um, there's tons of waste. But, you know, it's when it comes down to the individual soldiers or the Marines, you know, we're just trying to do our job and just need right. the tools. Give us our give us our e tool. Give us our K bar. We can do what we have to do and, uh, and move forward. And yeah, that's that's what it's all about. But we also want to talk to you about about your business. I mean, uh, we got to get your your word out there about what you do and how you help others to create sales and get that marketing going. So tell us a little more about Allies for Me. Yeah, so Allies for Me, we're a marketing agency, and we work exclusively with people that have high ticket uh, products or services usually high ticket services, uh, usually B2B, not always, but our special formula, if you have a high ticket product or service that requires a high level of trust uh, and a long sales cycle, we've got a solution for that. We've, we've got a formula that we've developed over years that works really well. And so for those folks, we can help them close more deals faster at higher prices. And the, um, you know, so there's a lot of people that would claim, you know, to do what we do. And I think legitimately claim, but there's one thing that I figured out along, along the way, and it's just a way of putting food on the table. Uh, I, you know, because it turns out I suck at sales. I, I love marketing, but I, I suck at sales. And so, um, when, uh, when we need to put food on the table, I was like, crap, what am I going to do? And so I started working on something and in short, instead of selling, I figured out how to create an environment where people want to buy. And the key element of that environment is we do something we call an irresistible first time offer. And one way of thinking about it, if you think about stages of courtship, uh, you know, you have an introduction, then you have conversation. If conversation goes well, then you have dinner or I'm sorry, you have coffee, you have coffee and think about that coffee date. You know, you all drive there separately. You know, it's often kind of middle of the day, afternoon, morning, whatever. Um, the, uh, you know, there's not a lot of financial risk. There's no commitment risk. Uh, what the ladies tell me is they'll have a girlfriend that will ring in in about 15 or 20 minutes to see if she needs a rescue. And, um, and you go on those because you hope for bigger and better things, but sometimes they end at the coffee date. And if that goes well, then you have dinner. And then if dinner goes well, then you have uh, commitment. Well, I came up with this thing called first time offer. That's kind of like the coffee date. You know, so if you have a service and usually it's B2B service, uh, coaches, consultants, uh, agencies, could be other service businesses. Um, we've done on the B2C side, we've done financial advisors, um, you know, again, high trust high, high ticket. And the, um, and what we found is this irresistible offer does a couple things. One, it compresses the sales cycle. And two, it gives you a vehicle to actually raise the prices on your core offer. And so let me give you a couple examples that you, you may have heard of some of these. So years ago, Columbia House Records had this deal where they would sell you 13 albums for a penny. So if you're wanting to build a record collection, this is back when albums were popular the first time. I see they're back again. If you want to build a record collection, Columbia yeah. House Records can get you 13 steps closer to your goal for one penny. All you have to do is join their record club. 
So we would call that a simple offer. And when I first started doing this, I tried something like that. And I can save your listeners the time. Don't do that. That's going to fail if you have a high ticket complex uh, service. <clears throat> so let me give an example of, of one that moves from a simple offer to a complex offer. Not one of the offers we made, but I like it because everybody gets it immediately and it makes a couple good points. Years ago, there was a guy named Bob Stupak that bought some dumpy old hotel at the end of the Vegas Strip. And now you would know that hotel is uh, the Strat or the Stratosphere, but it used to be some dumpy thing. And he renamed it Bob Stupak's Vegas World. And he ran a special and he said, give me $396. I will give you three days and two nights in one of my deluxe suites. When you arrive, there will be a bottle of champagne waiting for you in your room. All of your drinks on property are free, whether you're gambling or not. Even if you're sitting in one of our entertainment lounges, you pay nothing more for your drinks. Not only that, but for your $396, I will also give you $600 of chips to use in my casino. So there we've moved to a complex offer. And one of the ways that we describe it as complex is it has, that offer has four deliverables. And we believe in effective first-time offer should have a minimum of three and a maximum of six deliverables. That has four deliverables. And if you look at the four deliverables, three out of the four deliverables are worth more than the $396 because the $396 was a 10% discount on the published room rate. Um, if you're sharing that room for, with somebody and you're going out to drink, two of you drinking for three days, if you're somebody who likes to drink, you're probably going to burn through $400 you know, worth of, of booze, you know, to casino. And then you get $600 of chips for your 396, you know, so sort of free money. And so what's really interesting about it, and one of the points that, that, that I like about that offer is if you're somebody that likes to drink and gamble, it's hard to say no to that offer. Uh, if you're like me, I'm not a gambler. And I, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm drinking a glass of wine. I don't think the wine they're serving there is wine that I'm interested in. Not, you know, it's certainly not going to be, you know, overwhelming to me. So that offer isn't appealing to me. But here's the thing. Bob Stupak doesn't want somebody like me saying yes to his offer because he knows he's going to make the most money if he can make sure every room of his hotel is filled with somebody who likes to drink and gamble. Because when they walk into that casino, that's where he makes his money. But do you see how that's that's an error? If you're somebody who likes to drink and gamble, do you see how that's a hard offer to say no to? Yeah. Yeah. You're in Sin City, so you're done at that point. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so we build offers like that for um, people that have high ticket, uh, usually services. You know, a high ticket service business, usually B2B. And uh, and they're really awesome. They, they're, they're fun to put together, fun to see uh, them when they come together because you look at them and, you know, one of the ways that we know that we're, we're kind of over the target on the offer is somebody starts saying, whoa, 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 we're giving away a lot for, you know, whatever the price is. And like, okay, that's good. That's a... That's a good sign because um, when you're trying to move somebody forward on this, 
you have a force working against you called the status quo. People resist changing the status quo. It's easier and less scary to just continue doing what you're doing. And even if they have a deep need, you have to kind of over overcome that fear, overcome that status quo bias to get them to move. And so we just walloped the crap out of it with a unbelievably good offer, but it has to be properly structured. You know, there's some really critical elements. And if you, if you miss these elements, it's not going to work or it's not going to work well. And I say that as somebody who always tells, you know, I always tell my clients, Hey, look, you know, they're like, Hey, what do you think my offer should be? And I say, I can't shoot from the hip. Every time I do that, it fails. We got a process. You got to follow the process. And it's funny earlier this year, I put an offer together for myself and I was mostly shooting from the hip. I was following my worksheets, but I skipped some important steps and the offer wasn't working. And so I stepped back uh, last week and I started going through and following my process. And by golly, I'm like, oh, crap, I missed that. I missed that. I missed that. And, you know, and now I've got an offer that's, I think, pretty darn awesome. Um, And it's going to work incredibly well. But it's um, it's really about bringing somebody in. And uh, here's here's the magic. Here's where the magic comes in. Bring somebody in, solve a problem for them. And let me take this back to my time in the hospital. Remember, I said after six weeks, my trust in the doctors had plummeted. My trust in my wife had gone through the roof. Yes. My Angelo had a quote that said, people will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And while everybody thought I couldn't hear them, as the doctors talked around me, they were speaking words of death and despair. When my wife was talking around me, she was speaking words of hope and life. And the experience that created changed, changed the way I feel, changed the way I felt, changed the way I felt towards the doctors, changed the way I felt towards her. And when you bring somebody in, and do a first-time offer for them, one of the things it absolutely has to do is solve a problem, hopefully solve a few problems. When you come shoulder to shoulder with somebody and you help them solve a problem, it generates a release of oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone in the body. It's the hormone that's released when a new baby comes out of her mother's womb and has put her on a mom's chest. Oxytocin's released in the mom. Oxytocin's released in the baby. Tight bond is formed. When you help somebody solve a problem in their life, it releases oxytocin. Wow. So when you started this uh, with the first time, the first time offered FTO, when you came up with this or you started using this, what was the success rate at first and where are we now? (laughs) Yeah. So my, my, my first, first time offer failed. (laughs) my second first time offer failed my third first time offer failed a little bit less okay and it took about 18 months for me to get something that was sort of working and over the last five years i've really been perfecting the process but when i have an offer dialed in right if i present it um I basically half the people I present it to buy it. And of those 80% of those buy my high ticket offer. 
And on the first part, I would say the reason for the 50%, actually, I got nervous last year. My my closing rate on the first time offer started rising above 50%. And it, it actually made me nervous. That wasn't what I wanted because it's designed to be a filter. You don't want everybody saying yes. Remember Bob Stupak's offer? <laughs> if you don't like to drink and gamble, you're probably going to say no because there's better hotels in Vegas. He had a dumpy old thing. Um. And so uh, last year I saw it rising and guess what? The, the tail end of that started falling. I found out what happened. I had a referral source that was prepping people and they'd say, Hey, when you talk to Craig, he's going to make an offer. Make sure you say yes to whatever that was. And I, and I called my referral source. I'm like, dude, I really appreciate the uh, referrals. Please quit prepping my uh, prepping them. Just send them in cold. And um, don't tell them to say yes to whatever, because that's a filter I need for this to work. Because what we what we do, and again, if if you have if anybody's listening that has a high, you know, you're in the high ticket B two B service space, you know, you never close deals in one conversation. It's usually you've got a whole bunch of conversations, you have proposals, you have all that kind of crap. We close people in one conversation, but not for our core offer, for our first time offer. And because when it's working as a filter, <clears throat> we just make sure we're only talking to our best buyers, like Bob Stupak's offer. You know, he just wants, Bob Stupak only wanted people that like to drink and gamble saying yes to his offer. And we have carefully designed filters in our offer to make sure that we're only bringing in people that we that we work best with, and um, and what's cool is when you do that and you help them solve a small problem. When you ask them to write the big check, they're usually pretty eager and anxious to do so. Actually, we don't even ask. They usually come to us and they're like, "Okay, we got this. What's next? What do we do? I want to do. I want to continue with you. What's the next step?" Outstanding. And it seems like you, you build that relationship too. So you have them there so you can go back to that well again in the future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, and, and that's a really important message for anybody that's listening. This is, this is not some trick. Uh, this is not some trick. This is not some scam. It's not a gimmick. This is about serving people. You know, you're going to be very generous in these offers. You're maybe even uncomfortably generous. I actually, I hope you're a little bit uncomfortable uh, when you first start doing it until you start seeing how well it works and you start feeling good about it. If you try to use this as a gimmick or a scam, it's not going to work. I, I'm absolutely convinced. One, you won't be able to build one. And two, if that's your mentality, you're probably not going to offer it. And three, if you're kind of a, if you're more of a taker than a giver, it's going to come through in your body language and it's just the system won't work for you. But if you're a generous person that genuinely likes to help and serve people and you lead with this, okay, yeah, you're going to lose a little bit, you know, a little bit of money on the front end. But on the back end, this has been the primary vehicle we've used to raise our rates. Our rates have gone up significantly uh, since doing this because we build so much trust. Definitely do. And uh, I think and once you build that trust, it's almost like a tidal wave at that point. 
it keeps yeah. coming into you at that point because then you have the word of mouth and you have you need to go to Craig, you need to go to allies, allies for me, and they'll help you out. They'll help make you the person that your business, the business that you need to be with their marketing skills. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the things that we like to say is <clears throat> if you wouldn't send your best friend through your sales funnel, then you have a broken funnel. Right. <laughs> you know, seriously, if, if you have like a VIP door, for your buddies, you got a broken sales funnel. Yeah, the first time offered, that is our VIP door. And guess what? Everybody that we offer it to is a VIP. The other thing is we don't offer it to everybody. You know, you know, so when we when we jump on the call with somebody and you know, we're trying to figure out are we, you know, can we help them? If we can't help them, or uh, and if we conclude that for whatever reason, you know, some some people we can't help because we can't help them. Some people we can't help because they, they don't want to be helped in a way that we can help them. And um, if either of those come true you know, in, in our initial conversation, at the end of the conversation, we just don't offer the offer. We just tell them, you know, hey, we, we don't think we're the right folks for you. Um, but for those that do, every one of them goes right through our VIP door. And I mean, let me give you an example about how seriously I, I take this. And one of the one of our beliefs is if you had a friend come to you in need and, and you could actually solve whatever need they have for them and you thought about all the different things you could do for them, your answer better be that the best thing for them is to buy your first time offer. And a, chance, a time I had to put that to work was um, actually this goes back two years, uh, almost, you know, just a couple of days from now, two years ago. Um, I got an email on August 18th from a lifetime mentor, retired Marine Corps major. He was a Mustang. So he went up through the enlisted ranks, got commissioned, made major before he got out. Um, his name's Mike, his wife's name's Brenda. Mike and Brenda have had more of an impact on my life than anybody other than my own parents. They've wow. been fantastic mentors. And August 17th, their daughter died of COVID. She was on the ventilator. Um, August 18th, I got an email from Mike telling me about his daughter's death. And two days later, I went on the ventilator. Four days later, I went on the ventilator. And when I got out of the hospital, uh, Kristen's brother, Michael Jr., emailed me and said, hey, Craig, I need some help with marketing. Um, can you help? Well, at that time, I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't, do, I couldn't do a lot. And I said, Michael, I'm taking the rest of the year off. And um, why don't you reach out again? And I, secretly, I was kind of hoping he would go away. Uh, I just didn't want to muddle that relationship. Uh, he came back right after the new year. And, you know, I was looking at my diary, uh, my journal today. And, um, and you know, my days, my first days back at work was, you know, work an hour or two, sleep an hour or two, work an hour or two, sleep an hour or two. I mean, I was just, I was depleted. I was rebuilding from scratch. And so I say, hey, Michael, uh, I'm still not ready. Can you come back a little bit later? He came back a third time and I was like, okay, let's jump on the phone. 
And we jumped on a Zoom call and I listened to what he was, you know, listened to what he had to say. And immediately I knew he would never be a client of mine. His revenue didn't support our fees. And as I looked at it, I was like, the last thing I wanted to do was turn him loose on some marketer, some low cost marketer that I was afraid would give him bad advice. And the best advice I had for him was, Michael, you need to buy my first time offer. It's going to give you a marketing plan that's going to help you make better decisions to help grow your business. And what's really interesting is at that time, um, and I'm sure I have to believe at some point you've either witnessed this or experienced this yourself. Um, maybe some of your veteran listeners have experienced this. At the time, I was really struggling with survivor's guilt. I, uh, I survived a disease that killed millions. And I still don't understand why. And that disease, that disease killed Michael's sister. And I got to live for some strange reason. And even while I was wrestling with all that survivor's guilt, the best advice I could still give him was, Michael, you need to buy my first time offer. And to this day, I can look his dad in the eye and say, I took care of your son. That's outstanding right there. You you can go, you can wake up or go to bed every night knowing that you were able to take care of him, even though you had that guilt inside. And a lot of us, like you said, a lot of us have that same kind of guilt that from a different, different reasons, uh, going to war and losing a buddy or home when he's deployed and anybody dies. And why was I spared? Why was I able to sit at a desk when they died? Those are questions you that can ride on your head. You can let them kill you. Or you can fuel, let them fuel you to be a better person, a better human as you move forward in life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's funny. Um, right down the road from me is a Marine named Dakota Meyer. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah, second youngest living recipient of the Medal of Honor. He used to be the youngest living recipient. <clears throat> and yeah, I've met him and, uh, at a luncheon a few years ago, but I was looking at his website and I saw him write something, you know, something on his website. And uh, it was that he strived to live a, a life that honored the Marines that died. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, I know exactly what that means. My, you know, my phrase is to live a life that's worth living. Definitely. And uh, I think I, we all have to have that same kind of mantra and not and not just like you heard us in the, our intro. Don't go to the darkness. Don't don't give up the fight. We need you here. We need you. We want you to be in this fight. So that's I think what you what you've done with that and turned it turn that page and, and made the best out of it. And you coming out of the out of the, the covid death, uh, death grip and coming back to us and being able to do what you're doing still now is just an amazing uh i guess a tribute to you and to your upbringing and to like you said the hard-headedness of the marines that you can't die because the marines told you you can't until it's your time so that's that's awesome <laughs> yeah and you know you were talking about the dark place you know so the second hospital i was in as my mind started clearing i started realizing what i was up against i there was one morning i went dark i went really dark um 
you know, I could barely move. Couldn't, you know, I, I think at that point I could lift an arm and a little bit lift it. I don't think I could lift my legs yet. And I was in constant pain. Everything hurt. And I'm sitting there in bed and I was like, this sucks. You know what? Tomorrow's going to suck. And the day after that's going to suck. And I just started spiraling downward. And around lunchtime, you know, I caught myself mentally. I was like, Craig, you can't go there. You just can't go there. Pull out. And unfortunately, I was able to refocus my mind, refocus my thoughts, you know, get focused back on, you know, on recovery. And, you know, and to anybody listening, you know, I'd, I'd encourage if you're in a dark place, do that and reach out. You know, you don't have to do this alone. Definitely. You're not in the fight alone. Uh, you have brothers and sisters all around you. You may not think they care about you, but they do they care about you. Everyone has this crazy busy life right now because it's so easy to be busy right now. But every one of them will stop what they're doing to talk to you so that you're able to talk to them again another day. So just remember that. Craig, uh, we'll get off the darkness here for a little bit. Uh, yeah. You also have a podcast. And uh, tell us about uh, the title of your book and when it's going to be released, where people can get it. And then let's talk about your podcast a little bit. So I've got actually two books coming out. Okay. Um, and we're still reworking the titles. The uh, one is a book my wife and I wrote about our journey through COVID. And uh, the title we picked was... Uh, turns out somebody was publishing a book this year with exactly the same title. Wow. And so the, um, the one we're, we're debating on is life in two worlds escaping the shadows. And so that's the one about COVID. Maybe that may be something similar to that. Uh, the other book, and I just finished the first draft this weekend. I'm working on editing Hope to have that. Well, I don't hope I will have that to the editors this week. Is um, it's called uh, "Make Sales Magical," um, close more high ticket deals faster at higher prices. You know, so that's kind of what we're talking about. Don't have the exact date on when those books are coming out, uh, but it'll be soon. Um, something else I want to celebrate. That and I tell you what, if anybody can make it to Austin uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, August twenty second, you know. So I started doing something when uh, when I got home and I started recovering. I was still in a wheelchair and I started doing this thing called Camp Gladiator. Uh, and initially, it was just to work on upper body strength. And um, and so Tuesday, the twenty second, is the two year anniversary from when the docs told my wife I was going to die. And I'm going to Camp Gladiator that night. Normally, I have to do a 30-minute workout because of some complications with my kidneys. Uh, that night, I'm doing a full hour, and I'm just doing balls to the wall. And um, I, hope, I hope anybody listening that's in Austin, you know, come out to Lake Hills. It, we meet in the parking lot of Lake Hills Church, 6 o'clock Tuesday night. If you're not in Austin, fly down. Come on out. Or, or, you get, you'll get to see me wheeze and stumble and look like I'm about to pass out. Southwest flies into Austin, I think, four times a day just from here in, uh, in Nashville. So I think it flies in a lot of flights from uh, Southwest go there. So those are your cheapest flights, Southwest, or maybe uh, uh, 
some Airbus or something get there. I don't know. <laughs> True Blue yeah. Airlines or something. Spirit. They'll get you there cheap if you want to go cheap. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And how about your podcast, Craig? Yeah. So we just um, got podcasts called Leaders and Legacies, Making an Impact Beyond Yourself. And so the inspiration for that was, you know, I was in a coma for six weeks and then my mind was mush for another couple of weeks. And when my mind started clearing, my wife told me about how my team stepped up and ran the business without me. Wow. Freelancers reached out and said, hey, we'll do whatever's needed as long as Craig's in the hospital. And, you know, it's I consider that the, the greatest accomplishment in my career. And I think there's a lot of leaders out there that that need to be encouraged and um, and realize the impact they're making beyond themselves. And so we're interviewing those people and we're cheering them on. Outstanding. And uh, that speaks volumes to to you as a person that all those people would step up while you were down, while you were at at the door. They were down. They were coming to help you out and help you and your wife and, and do what they can to keep this going and keep everything your momentum going. So that's outstanding. Yeah. And Craig, how does someone get in contact with you if they want to either have you come on a show like this or maybe speak to motivate a, a youth group or, or maybe a professional business group? How do they get in contact with you? Yeah. So if they come to our website, alliesforme.com, that's spelled A-L-L-I-E-S, the number four, M-E.com. Uh, there's ways to contact me there. I've got a speaker page there. You'll see if you go to podcast um, under that, you'll find out how to register for our podcast. If you if you want to be on that, um, if you want me to speak at your event, there's a link there for our speaker page. Uh, but I've got a gift for your audience. I actually have two gifts. And so we talked a little bit about first time offers. Uh, I you know I believe high ticket sales is broken. And I'm committed to changing that with first-time offers. So I have a guide um, that helps you avoid some of the mistakes I made. And also have 23 days access to a self-paced course to help you put yours together. And just for clarity, the reason we limit it to 23 days is we study humans. And we know if you come sign up for a free course, Next month will come, you had not done it. Month after that will come, you haven't done it. Six months from now, you've forgotten about it. I'm in the business of changing lives. And when we put a 23-day cap on it, guess what? People come in, they consume the content, they start putting it to work. We see it in the analytics. So all you have to do is go to alliesforme.com slash misfitnation. All one word, all lowercase, alliesforme.com, misfitnation. And there will be a little form you can fill out, sign you up to get you access uh, for those two gifts. And um, I hope anybody doing a high ticket sale, I hope you do that because I, I, if it changes your life as much as it's changed mine, it'd be wonderful. Outstanding. And that website is going across the, the bottom as a banner right now for those viewing this. And uh, it'll be in the show notes for those who uh, listen to this on our podcast apps. Craig, thanks again for uh, being flexible. I know we had to cancel one time before because of my awesome work schedule, but thanks for being flexible and awesome sharing the story with us. And I hope that this was able to reach someone and teach them. Reach one, teach one is what we like to do here at the Misfit Nation. And I think uh, your story is impactful and it should reach, reach at least one, maybe more than that. Rich, thanks for having me. This has been fun. 
I had a great time. Have a good night. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. These sites are located across more than 400 million acres of public lands, including national parks, wildlife refuges, and forests. The lands host activities to fit any lifestyle, hiking, biking, fishing, camping, and much more. Gold Star families are also eligible for these free lifetime passes. Plus, they cover entrance fees for a driver and all passengers in a car, or up to three additional adults at sites that charge per person. Obtaining one is easy. Just go to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, or the National Park Service app. For every veteran, there is a story. A story about a calling to serve, to fight for the freedoms of the American people. And every story has a struggle, a sacrifice, and invisible wounds. Warrior Watts programs help veterans recover from PTSD and invisible wounds through exercise, nutrition, and connecting with other veteran leaders. It is estimated that 22 veterans die each day by suicide and another 30 veterans die each day by substance abuse. These are preventable deaths. Warrior Watt is committed to fighting PTSD through fitness, nutrition, and community. for checking us out and being a part of the misfit nation don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com it's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great misfit nation gear as always be humble stay hungry and keep hustling because we are 